In the year 325, the First Council of Nicaea, leaders of the early church adopted a very important statement of belief in response to a false teacher named Arius. Arius was an Egyptian presbyter from Alexandria who introduced a new theology that stated while Jesus was the Son of God, he wasn't really God. He was a created being who had been given some divine attributes. The early church responded to this heresy by officially denouncing it and issuing the Nicene Creed, which states that Christian orthodoxy affirms a belief in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. It's been a long time since the year 325, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. The Arian heresy has persisted stubbornly throughout the last 1,700 years of church history in various forms and iterations. There are many fringe groups today that claim to represent Christian orthodoxy, but in reality are simply peddling this same old heresy. So, was Jesus really God? Or was Jesus a created being with some divine attributes that was sent by God? Was Jesus made into a God by the early church? Or was Jesus a God just like you and I are gods? Shouldn't we be checking our Bibles for the answers to these questions? Words, little beards and Bible. But here's Bible podcast. My name is Josh. This is Gabe. Gabe, how you doing tonight? Doing well. It's good to be here. Yeah. And by here, I mean in my basement, <laughs> recording this with you. It's good to be here. It's good to be there in your basement. It wouldn't be good if you were with me. Apparently, I don't know why. Mm. So speaking of which, um, Gabe, Gabe ghosted me today, and I'm I'm a little hurt by that. Gabe, you want to admit what you did? You want to fess up to it on the air? Confess your sins to, to everybody yeah. listening? Let's see. You texted me at 10.53 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I promptly replied at 5.42 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not like you. So, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I, I just, it's just been a day. You had me so, so nervous. I actually texted your wife and asked if you were okay. Because that's not like mm. you. What did she? What did she respond? Like, what does a wife respond in that situation? Let me see. She actually defended your honor quite well. Mm. Let's see. She said, "I think he was slammed at work today. He absorbed someone else's house, so it's been mm. meh face." <laughs> uh, I absorbed someone else's house. What does that mean? You absorb someone else's houses. Uh, we had, we had someone resign from our company and I, I, I took over the completion of their home. So really it's more like three homes. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just a lot, a lot, lot, but, and it's, and it's like a lot of driving between different neighborhoods and stuff as we're building. So gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Were you doing okay? Are you, I mean, you're hanging in there with all the absorption of the houses. Yeah, yeah, I'm at, I think I think tomorrow is kind of the the pinnacle of it all. Um, okay. If I get through tomorrow, 
it's like it's quickly going to go downhill and some of these houses are actually going to start closing so it'll be off my radar and i'll be uh able to focus on our upcoming trip to israel which is thursday a week from this thursday wow so what eight eight nine days away yeah looking forward to it i haven't had time to really just like pause and think and get excited for it i guess yeah it's kind of all surreal but yeah now does your wife pack for you or do you are you a big boy and you pack for yourself no it's the other way around if anything i'll be packing for stacy <laughs> no and actually um so i i true story i went so i've i've traveled overseas quite a few times and i realized best way to do it is just to have a carry-on mm-hmm. that you can put on your bag put on your back and just walk like a so basically like a like a hiking backpack yeah. like a 30 to 40 liter hiking backpack and um so it's like you know what we're gonna do that this time we're just i'm gonna buy me stacy and noah decent like 30 or 40 liter backpacker backpacks and 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 just do that and everything we bring we're gonna fit in this this 40 liter bag and um so I go to Academy Sports, I go to Dick Sporting Goods, I go to all these places in town, and they're all like $175 for like this North Face, whatever. You know, I'm like, there yeah. is no way I'm paying that much for these these bags. Yeah, so I go down to the Wally World, though. Mm. Josh, let me tell you, <laughs> I got me. <laughs> is it Ozark Trail? Is that the kind of brand you got? <laughs> no, it's not Ozark Trail, but it's something okay. like it. Yeah, it's like, uh, but I'm like, dude, after, <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm not gonna, I'm like, I swore I was not going to go cheap. And I went in that Walmart and I saw they were like 39 bucks for like a 40 oh, liter hiking bag. You can't like, say no to that. All right. All right, boys and girls, we have made our selection. Absolutely. So uh, I told Stacy, I was like, look, everything, I broke the news to Stacy. I was like, I think everything needs to fit in these bags because take it from me. That way you don't have to drop luggage off at a hotel and figure out how, when you're going to pick it back up and do all no. these other things and stuff. You just have everything right there on you. Okay. So, um, she, and I was like, this means for you, you're probably going to have to leave your hair straightener at home. <laughs> and she was like, what? No. <laughs> She's like, no, there's no, uh-uh. It's, I can, I'll find a way to fit my hair straightener. I'm like, we're going, we're backpacking across Israel. You don't need a hair straightener. And uh, so, of course, the next day I'm like, you know what? I will bring your hair straightener. Yeah, I yeah, just kind of, you know, I, I what stepped a, what up a, my husband game. What a godly like, husband. Yeah, I don't know if I have the... Mm-hmm the guts to say that to my wife on any trip, you're not bringing your hair straightener. Mm. Yeah. Shh, don't, don't. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, see, my wife is like really, really, really good at packing. Like if mm. we were, if we were pioneers migrating to the West back in the days and we had to fit everything into a kind of, mm. kind of saga wagon or whatever it's called, my wife would have been expert <laughs> at packing us up because mm. Even in times when I have gone to Uganda and led teams to East Africa, I only do a carry-on. I have a little hard shell <clears throat> rolly carry-on. And she is like super mm-hmm. good at like, hey, let me help you pack your other backpack. And dude, she finds like places to put snacks in there and places to put, you know, all the th- different books and stuff that I'm bringing. And, and uh, yeah, she's really efficient at that. I, on the other hand... I'll just stuff everything in a bag the night before and get up and go and I'm, I'm ready for it. But mm. not her. She's, she's very, uh, but sometimes she, like if she has too much time to overthink it, she'll overthink it. She'll be like, Hmm, do we need three, three separate, 
semi-casual outfits to wear by the pool for that one dinner that we're having at your parents? Or I don't know. That was a mm. very strange hypothetical. Yeah. But sometimes she overpacks. But she's great at packing, much, much better than I am. And I know she's going to listen to this, so I'm really trying to dig myself out of a hole. <laughs> dig myself out of a hole. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, you didn't mean any of what you just said. No, no, I mean, no, no. I love my wife. No, she's the no. best woman ever. She's the best at packing for trips. King. Speaking of speaking of packing, <laughs> Josh, Okay. <laughs> we're going to pack a lot into this episode. Ooh, that is a crafty transition, mm. my friend. I was trying it's to figure out how you can do that. Full little episode we got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got a big topic. Big topic. We do have a big topic. One could say this is a divine topic. Mm. It's divine. It is very divine. Yeah. So um, mm. I just finished teaching through John's Gospel. Well, I will be finished teaching through John's Gospel on Sunday. And um, I am struck by so many passages in the Gospel of John where Jesus talks about his divinity, where the religious teachers that Jesus is interacting with accuse him of blasphemy because he is a man has made himself God. And it seems like, man, almost every chapter of John's gospel as I'm teaching through it, there's an opportunity to stop and say, those who deny the divinity of Jesus, how do you get around this passage? Um, because like what I found out is that there are many groups out there that claim that they're Christian, but they are completely downplaying or flat out denying the divinity of Jesus. And it's a pretty disturbing thing. Have you noticed that as well? Have you come across groups like that? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually sent me a debate uh, it was Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. James White, and they were debating two different people. I'm trying to remember the name of the teachers. Um, one of them was Dr. Uh, Joseph Good. Joseph Good was one. And then who was the other guy? Some British dude. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. And it was a fascinating yeah, conversation. Yeah, intense debate. It really was. Mm-hmm. But all four of them claimed to be Christians, but two of them said Jesus wasn't really divine. He was just sent by God, and he had some aspects of divinity. He was the Messiah, but he wasn't really divine. And that's a really, really slippery, um, strange thing to pin down. And so I thought tonight we would uh, take some time to just sort of unpack it and maybe look at some groups that claim to be Christian, but yet they deny the divinity of Jesus talk about how they do it and then just go through some verses together and talk about those verses and what those verses have to say about the divinity of Jesus. Mm. Let's do it. Yeah. Did you want to talk about the Jehovah's witnesses or did you want me to? Yeah, we can talk about, I can, I can talk about Jehovah's witness um, and their view specifically on the view of what we would say Christology, their view of divinity of Christ. Um, well, first of all, Jehovah's Witness, um, you know, of course, they have to make the claim that they're the only true Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, they state that the doctrine of the Trinity is false. It's a pagan teaching, teaching that is tritheism. They teach that Jesus was created and is actually Michael the Archangel. Hmm. 
Uh, they believe that Jesus' body was not resurrected, it simply disappeared and then rose as a spirit creature. And that the Holy Spirit is not a person by Jehovah's active force or energy on earth, or but rather Jehovah's active force or energy on earth. And Jesus was some sort of demigod, and he was given the title Son of God, but that doesn't mean he was God. They believe that Jesus, who was a perfect man, died only to atone for the sin of Adam, and that when we die, our death pays the penalty for our own sin. And only some 10,000 Jehovah's Witnesses today can possibly claim to be born again and have a heavenly hope. Uh, the rest say they don't want to go to heaven to be with the Lord, but they want to live forever on a paradise earth, what we would say restorationism. They believe that if we remain faithful and obedient till the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, they will earn the right to be declared righteous, and that's why they have to keep uh, keep on striving with no assurance of their salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe that only today's remnant of the 144,000 that we see in the book of Revelation can say they in, are in the new covenant and that Jesus Christ is their mediator. Uh, they believe that all must be obedient to the leaders, which is the Watchtower Society and its governing body, if they wish to survive Armageddon. <laughs> So if you um, disobey the Watchtower, you're not making it through Armageddon? Is that... Wow. I guess not. Uh, yeah. To disagree with the governing body says... Uh, what it says is to disagree with Jehovah because he uses them as his sole channel of communication to dispense the truth. So basically, no Jehovah's Witness has any assurance of salvation because the death of Jesus on their behalf means something very different to them because Jesus wasn't divine and was simply an angel. Hmm. Wow. It's very problematic. Yeah, it is. Um, There's a guy that uh, comes to our church, a good friend of mine, Bobby, who was down at a uh, store and there were some Jehovah's Witnesses who had a table set up. Because we have a, we're we're like really small town, but there's a Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses just right up the hill. And um, they were Mm -hmm. there and they were like passing out literature and they were talking with folks. And he started talking with them and started asking them, you know, okay, so what do you guys believe about Jesus? And they said, oh, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. And he was like, really? Okay. And so he called me and he goes, I just had a conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses and they were like pro-Jesus and they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I was like, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. So I went on like their official website and I'm reading through what it is they teach. And it says on the website, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. They have all this stuff about you know how he's involved in the atonement. But down at the very bottom, kind of as a disclaimer, but we don't believe Jesus was God. Hmm. And so, like, it's That's a... It's interesting, and, and they have their... Oh, I was going to say they have their own translation of the Bible, even, to substantiate mm-hmm. a lot of their, their heresies. Yeah. So, like, if you don't have oh, a divine called, Jesus... The, the, New World Order or New World World Translation, something like that. Yeah, New World Translation. Yep. Yeah, but if you have a no, you don't have a divine Jesus, then you don't have a perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross. You you have some weird distortion of the atonement. And what were you saying that they believe that Jesus only had died to atone the sin of Adam? Like, where would you get that? I mean, that's a Weird twisting of it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and for them, like John 1, 1 would be, according to the New World Translation, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. This one was in the beginning with God. So they alter the translation of John 1, 1, knowing that it's problematic, but they directly defy the the Greek the vast majority yeah, of all the Greek to. transcripts to do that, yeah. of John one one, which in in every other translation it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Yeah. Um wow. yeah, totally different. Yeah, so Jehovah's Witness would be a text. Oh of course. They would be a textbook definition of a cult group, you know, in the sense that they believe they're the only true Christians they distort the person of Jesus. They reject Christian orthodoxy and call it pagan. Um, there's a heavy, heavy-handed authoritarian structure, um, and there's secrecy all through the Jehovah's Witness and the Watchtower Society. So that's crazy. Have you ever had much conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses, Gabe? Very little, very little. We used to get them in the neighborhood I lived in in Murfreesboro. And uh, one time, I always get upset because they would come to the house when I wasn't there and they'd leave their little tracks on the door. And I'd be like, dang it, I really want to talk to them. And so one time I was sitting at the house mm-hmm. and the, they knocked on the door. I was like, oh my gosh. And I ran to the door and uh, we started talking. And they said, yeah, we want to invite you to our event. And they put a flyer in my hand. They said, it's an event that talks all about the atonement and explains what the atonement is. I said, oh man, I love talking about the atonement. I said, let's talk about the atonement. I said, what? What does the atonement mean to you guys? <laughs> it's just kind of like deathly quiet. And finally, one of the older hmm. guys goes, well, you'll just have to come to the event and find out and just walked away. <laughs> so I was like, man, what a bunch of lazy Jehovah's Witnesses. I wanted you guys to try to convert me. But <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on, another group's view of Jesus that denies the divinity of Jesus would be the Islamic view of Jesus. So the Muslim view of Jesus. In 1610 AD, Islam began. And because if you if you study like the history of the early church, you had about 500, 600 years of church history, Christian influence until 1610 AD when Islam showed up. And so the early church, early church viewed Islam not really as a new religion. They just viewed it, viewed it as a Christian heresy or a form of idolatry. Hmm. And there was an early church apologist named John of Damascus who saw Islamic doctrines as a hodgepodge from the Bible and Judaism and a distortion of those things. And so didn't really accept it as a new religion, just said this is a heresy, basically, which I thought was super interesting. Mm-hmm. So in the Quran, there is Jesus. Jesus is a prophet in the Quran. They call him Isa. But the Jesus of the Quran was created just like any other man. Um, I think we talked about this in our from the mailbag episode that uh, the Jesus of the Quran spoke as an infant. So that's something different than what we have in the biblical <laughs> accounts. Uh, the Jesus of the Quran was just another prophet like Moses, David, Zechariah, John the Baptist, but he was ultimately surpassed by Muhammad. Um, that he's coming back, that he's like returning, which is probably what John of Damascus said. This is a hodgepodge from Christian theology. Um, 
But Muslims do not believe that Isa, who is Jesus, um, died on the cross. So some of them say he wasn't on the cross long enough to die. Some of them say God took Jesus to heaven and then created a being who looked like Jesus who suffered on the cross. <laughs> some say that they thought it was Jesus on the cross. It wasn't Jesus. Some say he was nailed to the cross, but his soul was immortal and he didn't die. He just appeared to die. So Islam denies the divinity of Jesus. And they say that Jesus was a prophet, Isa, but he was surpassed by Muhammad, um, which is obviously heresy. Not, not the same as what the Christians, Christian orthodoxy teaches about the divinity of Jesus. So tell us about the Mormons. Hmm. Well, the Mormons are interesting, like Jehovah's Witness. They have a lot of uh, similarities and overlap between what I would say Orthodox Christianity, but then they go way out on left field on some other things. Mm -hmm. But they, they believe that God has not always been the supreme being of the universe. Um, this is page 321 of Mormon doctrine, but attained that status through righteous living and persistent effort. Hmm. They believe that God the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. And they believe that Jesus' incarnation was the result of a physical relationship between God the Father and Mary. Yeah, that's blasphemous. Uh, Mormons will teach. Hmm, yeah. Mormons will teach that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers, spirit children of Elohim, just like humans are spiritual beings as well, which is mostly a teaching of early Mormonism. But many Mormons today do reject this teaching. Hmm. Uh, Mormons believe Jesus is a God that any human can also become a god. And this is from the Doctrine and Covenants um, 132, verse 20. Um, they believe Mormonism, Mormonism would teach that, that salvation can be earned by a combination of faith and good works. So, um, yeah, again, a weird view of, of Jesus in their faith and his origins that is very, very unbiblical a little bit sus yeah in my interactions with mormons they typically don't i mean sometimes they'll say jesus but a lot of times they'll just say the savior and they'll say the savior came and gave us an example of how we're to live what are you drinking uh it's called it's called a uh, agua oh agua is, what, is that ice in your agua yeah it's just ice yeah oh, okay it kind of looked like you're just drinking cold milk. <laughs> like, yeah, it is a little bit milky. Yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. It? I was like, wow. See the con the condensation. Okay, I see it now. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. If you're not watching on YouTube, mm -hmm. Gabe is just nursing a tall, cold glass of uh of of milk. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird the the Mormons view not only of Jesus, but their view of salvation, because they'll say things like the atonement of the Savior offers us forgiveness of sins and a way to heaven, but like grace and the atonement is kind of the booster shot we need after we have done everything that we can do on our own to make ourselves right. And so it's just so interesting how like so many of these groups, when you start 
downplaying the divinity of Jesus, you also have to like take away from the power of his atonement and the completed work. It's not the completed work of Jesus on the cross. We always have to add something to it. Which I think is super interesting. Well, I'll talk about uh, this next viewpoint of the divinity of Jesus, a guy by the name of Bart Ehrman. Have you heard of Bart Ehrman, Gabe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. He's a very popular guy amongst people who are deconstructing. I think that's how I first encountered him and his writing. So if you don't know who Bart Ehrman is, he's an American New Testament scholar, and he focuses on textual criticism of the New Testament, uh, the historical Jesus and the origins and development of early Christianity. And he's written about 30 different books, including three college textbooks. Uh, His backstory is really interesting. He was raised Anglican and Episcopal. He became a born-again evangelical. Then he turned into a progressive Christian. And now he is just an agnostic and atheist. But he also teaches about theology, which is interesting. (laughs) And uh, here's what Ehrman believes. Ehrman believes that there was a real historical Jesus, but he believes that early Christianity turned Jesus, who was some sort of a teacher, a philosopher, into a god. So basically like mythology, you know, maybe there was a real Paul Bunyan out there, but over the years, kind of the stories were told, and as the stories were told, Paul Bunyan became legendary. That's kind of what Ehrman presents. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he claims that all the different textual variants between the manuscripts prove that from over 2,000 years of copying and recopying manuscripts, Jesus was changed into divinity. And... um I think his view represents a lot of people who are kind of in the deconstructionist camp that you can't trust the Bible. You can't trust what people um, say about the Bible. When I had that conversation with my friend, Jesse, Jesse was kind of uh, saying stuff like this, you know, my my friend, Jesse, who's was a Christian, but he deconverted. Yeah. He was kind of saying some of this stuff. Like, you know, I don't know if I know there, there might've been a real historical Jesus, but I'm not sure he was God. I think maybe that part was made up. And so Ehrman would kind of suggest that that part about Jesus claiming to be God was invented later by the church for their own reasons, institutional power, control, money, et cetera, et cetera. So what would you say to somebody that um, held to this view? Like how would you have a conversation with somebody that said, well, Jesus existed, but Mm -hmm. he never claimed to be God. And all the texts that say he's God, those got added later and those got copied. Now, is this person also claiming to be a Christian, a follower of Christ? Uh, maybe, but Jesus is like a good teacher, philosopher. Okay. Yeah, I mean, from there, we got to go further back and have, you know, more like, is the Bible, the Word of God kind of kind of discussions. Um, if if they are a self-professing Christian and they're saying that the that, that Christ did not claim to be divine or the Bible doesn't teach that, then you 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 have to throw out all of the new Testament just about. Um, yeah. and, and if you do that, then what, what do you have left to testify of the, the 
burial and resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, what do you, what's, by what standard do you live by as a Christian? Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a very slippery slope once you start doing that. And I almost have more respect for someone who says, oh, I'm not a Christian, and I believe that Christ wasn't divine, but he had good teachings, than someone who says, I'm a Christian, and I can't believe the pages of the New Testament, and therefore, I, you know, I, I don't believe he was divine. Right. Um, there's there's way more consistency in the in the in the former's argument than the latter's. What do you say to somebody that would say, "Well, the New Testament's been changed and it's been altered," and so mm-hmm. like Jesus never really claimed to be a god originally, and we can know that because mm-hmm. look, here's here's all these different manuscripts and here's how different they are. And so it shows us they've been tampered with and they got tampered with to prove Jesus was a God when he never said he was. How would you respond to somebody who said that? Mm-hmm. I would say they're just false because there, there's um, thousands of manuscripts that are completely harmonious with, with themselves mm-hmm. and that we use and translators use to, to translate the Bible. Um, and all of those thousands of, of manuscripts say the same thing in the Bible that we have today of the New Testament, yeah. and we are we are going off of multiple eyewitnesses' accounts. You know, so if you're going to say, "Oh, we got that's that's not true," then are you going to believe the writings of of some of the greatest historians the world has ever seen? Are you going to discredit those as well? You're going to have to. But mm. these are these are multiple like multi-factor authentication eyewitness accounts of the things that he said. And um, that's very scientific in terms of being able to back that that testimony up. Yeah. Um, well, and also, so yeah, and I think you have you have so you have you well you have textual textual quantities, and you have harmony between those quantities of texts. Um, all saying that there are multiple eyewitnesses that said he said th- that 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 are saying that he said this. So what were you going to say? Right, right, right. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I was also going to say this. The textual variants that we have, like, and what I mean by that is, you know, this manuscript of John's gospel varies from this manuscript of John's gospel. Like, guys like Bart Ehrman and other academics will say, oh, that proves that, you know, this is flawed. It's been changed. When the reality is we might have, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 different manuscripts and they all are like, in harmony with like 98% of what they say, but you might have Mm -hmm. like a copyist error or you might have like a scribal addition. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change in change intrinsically the doctrine or the, the tenets of that book's theology. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you said that every, (laughs) you know, if you, if you rounded up every ancient copy of Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey and you found, you know, that 2% of those copies that were handwritten had errors in them. Therefore, Homer didn't really write this. Right. Um, that's that's such faulty logic, you know? Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about this last guy. We've talked about him before on our Enneagram episode. <laughs> that's our old buddy, Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. Tell us about Richard Rohr yes, and what he says still, about Jesus. He's still, he, <laughs> he's still going strong. I guess <laughs> Richard so. Richard Rohr. I think he's hanging um, out with Oprah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's like that really nice looking uncle that like teaches art out butterscotch candy to all the kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 
but smells like mothballs. <laughs> uh, and patchouli. So I'm sorry, Richard. No, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Richard Rohr, he is a Franciscan friar, and he runs the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, seems innocent enough. He holds conferences. Yeah. Oh, we need more. We we need more action and contemplation in the world. Right? Yes. He holds conferences, trainings, and has written books about the Enneagram as a tool of self-discovery, hmm. uh, which is kind of where he gets into weaving. We talked about this before in our, our Enneagram episode. He gets into weaving uh, some Eastern mysticism into his theology a little bit. Hmm. Uh, the problem is he also teaches kind of like this pantheism that God is everything. The earth is God's body, etc. He's been quoted saying things like Jesus died. Christ arose, uh, or Christ said things that Jesus would never have said. Christ began to exist with the Big Bang, where the world was the was the first body of Christ. Um, old Richie, he represents the idea of Christ consciousness. Yeah, uh, he says that he says that Jesus was divine, but so are we. We like a divine spark. Hmm. So. Um, Here's a, a roar quote. He says, Christ's consciousness as the highest state of intellectual development and emotional maturity. Uh, J- Jesus achieved the higher state of being in his human life and was giving, given this term Christ before his name as the recognition of his achievement of his of the spiritual status. So in other words, like he's saying the Greek word Christos, Christos, uh, he earned that, which is Messiah, the anointed one. He earned that because of a spiritual uh, a spiritual achievement. Hmm. He says, this path is open to anyone regardless of their religious tradition if and when he or she is open to become a living vessel of love and truth on the planet and actively strives to attain it. He says, Jesus can be seen as the leader teacher in showing us how to exalt our own inner goodness and in doing so make ourselves right with whatever deity we choose to acknowledge. He says Christ consciousness groups or Christ consciousness groups claim that Jesus earned the title Christ by perfectly channeling the divine consciousness we call we can call we can all attain, sorry, and they attempt to attribute this philosophy to the Lord Jesus. Richard Rohr and other people who champion this ideology are just using the name of Jesus as a means of worshiping themselves. Hmm. So in order to peddle this You've got to discount the divinity of Jesus by reframing everything Jesus said and taught. And I mean, the full essence of the gospel is that we need to not uh, try to find our inner goodness, but acknowledge, we should acknowledge our inner brokenness and, yeah. and uh, our inner, yeah, our, our need for a salvation. That's the essence of the gospel. Well, and it's just so crazy to me how if you've ever heard him preach and while we were doing the Enneagram episode, I researched him a lot because he's kind of the preeminent um, contemplative mystic Christianity. Like he's super popular in people who have deconstructed and landed in more kind of new agey circles. Um, Yeah. Everything he says he says it in such a way where, man, it is so slick and it sounds so incredibly profound. But he speaks mm. from his own authority. Like there's, there, like there's nothing that he's saying that actually is in alignment with scriptures. He might take one verse, twist it, and say, here's what this means. 
but like there's no like systematic explanation of like his form of belief or philosophy. It's just a lot of like empty platitudes to say we can become enlightened just like Jesus was. And Jesus is kind of this teacher to show us that we all have the divine spark in us and we can become conscious of our own divinity. Hmm. Which is like so much blasphemy. I mean, good Lord. But uh, our buddy Rob Bell has gotten into the Richard Rohr camp too. And what's really dangerous about Richard Rohr's teaching is he calls himself a Catholic or he calls himself Christian. Um, But it's a very, very, very different understanding of who Jesus is and the divinity of Jesus. So, Hmm. yeah. Well, Gabe, where should we go if we want to learn about who Jesus actually is? Where's the best place to go? Is there like a, I don't know, (laughs) is there a book we could read or is there a book on that? Yeah. Yeah. The (laughs) B-I-B-L-E. Uh, yeah, we can jump into some passages from the Bible about the uh, the divinity of Christ. So if you believe the Bible to be inspired and to be the Word of God, and you don't believe that Jesus is divine, then you're going to have a hard time massaging your heresy into these texts. Hmm. The first one... Uh, wait, no, you want to take the odd, don't you? I don't care. You want to take the odds? Take the odds. I'll take the evens. Ladies and okay. gentlemen, we have a bunch well, of verses listed earlier, out. John 1, 1. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're numbered, yeah. and Gabe has Get the... your notepads ready. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Gabe. Sorry. Yeah. The first verse I'm going to read, the first odd, would be John 1, 1. And I read this earlier. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. The Word was God. Um, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what would that tell us if it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty black and white, right? Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So another one from John's Gospel, John five eighteen. Uh, For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So. Hmm. Part of the reason that Jesus was in such hot water with the religious leaders of his day is because they understood exactly what he was saying when he would say mm-hmm. that God was his father. When um, he would make all these allusions to, you know, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And uh, they said, you know, Abraham, he says, truly before Abraham, I am. We'll get into that verse. So they didn't miss what he was mm-hmm. saying. They got what he was saying. That's why they wanted mm-hmm. to kill him because he was claiming to be God, and they called it blasphemous. So you see that a lot through the gospel accounts. Hmm. So the next verse would be John 3, I'm sorry, uh, John 8, 24. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. 
for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Uh, note in the Greek, he is not there. Um, hmm. So we could reread it, let's say, as I said, therefore, to you that you should die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Um, it's very interesting. It says he's he's uh, he's harking back to well, one of the you know the essence of God's name. God's name you know, we call it tetragrammaton yud hey vav hey in Hebrew. It's it's a conjunction word. His actual name is a conjunction word of of I was, I am, and will be. And I am is aye, aye in Hebrew. So he's harking back to Exodus 3 and saying that I am the aye, the I am. So it's a really, really big claim that he's making there, a very bold claim that he's making there. Hmm. And I totally believe that they're picking up what he's putting down. Yeah, of course they are, because they become irate when he says things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's not claiming that he's an angel. He's not claiming that he's, you know, a God, just like they can become a God. He's claiming that he is the all eternal, preeminent, transcendent I am, the, the, the great I am, right? And you see that in Exodus 8, 58, I mentioned it earlier. He says, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And like you said, Gabe, Exodus three fourteen. Mm-hmm. That's what God said to Moses, I am who I am. Um, mm. So yeah, that made him irate, and that's what he was saying. <laughs> and they understood perfectly what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and then we move on to John chapter 10. Uh, I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. So, yikes, yeah. Uh, again, John has this, this, this encounter here where it's like Jesus is saying, I am. I am the I am. Um, and they recognize it for what it is. Well, they they think it is, which is blasphemy. But they recognize it for what it is in terms of him making a claim of his divinity. Yeah, and they're not saying you make yourself out to <clears throat> to be a god. They're saying you make yourself out to be God. Because they're monotheists. Mm-hmm. They would have understood there's one God. So the whole Mormon mm-hmm. thing of like, okay, so mm-hmm. there's multiple gods on multiple planets. Like, the Jews in the first century would not have seen it that way. They said, you're making yourself out to be Yahweh. So they would have connected mm-hmm. Jesus' claims as a claim to the one true God. Um, I just preached on this last weekend, John 20, 28. Jesus appears to Thomas and gives Thomas the proof from his resurrection. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. So if Jesus is like just an angel, like the Jehovah's Witnesses say that he is, if he's just a prophet, like Islam says that he is, um, mm-hmm. why why would he let Thomas call him a god? Why wouldn't he stop Thomas from calling him God? Mm. 
he receives the worship of Thomas, and one could actually say yeah. that the evidence that he gives Thomas is to give Thomas the proof he needs to believe that he's God. Hmm. Yeah, and this isn't some generic, like, oh, you're like Lord or Master of me. This is like he's using the Greek theos, like, which is explicitly talking about God, <coughs> um, yeah. the one true God. It's used dozens of times in the New Testament referring to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, um, Thomas is, Thomas is laying it all out there. Um, Thomas is understanding his Bible, um, which I would like to share maybe at the end of these, you know, Thomas, Thomas didn't have a copy of the book of John. How did, mm. you know, Thomas come to this conclusion? And I, I would like to point out a couple of verses if I have time mm-hmm. from, from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. Yeah where we see the divinity of Christ being foretold in, in, the, in the Old Testament. I think that's important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But the next verse on our docket is Colossians 2, 9. And it says, For in him, so Paul is writing this out, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Sheesh. Yeah, there's like no mincing those words. The fullness of deity. So what would you say to a Jehovah's Witness that would say, well, yeah, Jesus is the archangel Michael. Jesus is a created being, and he has divine attributes. And so there is deity in Jesus, and that's what that verse means. How would you Mm. disagree with him on that? Yeah, I mean, you could say, uh, you know, so the fullness of deity is, you know, that's... That's there, but I mean, obviously, like we don't have to lean on this one particular verse. Uh, oh, sure. If yeah. if we we say, oh, okay, this is, um, you know, sure, I'll give you that with this verse. But how do you explain these? But I mean, the fullness of the deity of, of the deity is, it's it's like pleroma of the theos. It's like you know that word. Um, what's what, how we use that word? Pleroma, uh, like plethora in English, like um, a plethora of something. Plethora, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a completeness of something. Yeah, yeah, it's like right, right of the theos of the of God. So in, yeah, I mean, one could say body. another translation in English would be for in Him all of the completeness of divinity dwelt in bodily form. Mm-hmm. That'd be another translation mm-hmm. of fullness, plethora, or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 and 8, this is Paul writing to the church of Philippi, telling them to be humble. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. So what's compelling about that is he existed in the form of God, and he had equality with God. So an angel does not have equality with God. A prophet does not have an equality with God. <laughs> He has a complete equality with God, and yet he chose to empty himself of that, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So that's pretty black and white, just Christology in that, that he is equal in every way to God the Father. 
Mm, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I hate to belabor it a little bit more, but basically it says, like in, in the Greek, it says equality, because I'm trying to get out ahead of people and they're going to say, well, equality doesn't mean equality, hmm. but it does. Uh, it actually uses the, the <coughs> Greek word isa. Uh, isa is, it's used in Luke 634. Uh it literally means the same, the oh, same. Oh, interesting. Equal to the same. Yeah, and um, huh. you know you have to you have to get out ahead of people and where you think they're going to go next with some of these things yeah. and say, oh no, it's you just can't massage it to 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 fit your theology. Yeah. Um, the next verse I want to get into is Hebrews one eight. But of the Son, He says, "Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom." Now this is quoting Psalm 45, 6, obviously, which says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Um, so the writer of Hebrews is pulling from Psalm chapter 45, verse 6, and saying this applies to Jesus. Hmm. That's powerful, right? That's yeah. thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Um, wow. While we're here, let me... Add a couple quick more for just if yeah absolutely uh, Psalm one eighteen fourteen Psalm one eighteen fourteen um, now we know you know Jesus's name if you spoke Aramaic you would call him and that in those times many people did speak Hebrew and Aramaic they called him Yeshua which literally means salvation in in the Hebrew language or Aramaic language so um, in Psalm one eighteen fourteen it says um, oh, I lost it let me pull it back up here. It says um, in verse 14, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my Yeshua. Oh, well. So right there we have this hinting towards uh, the fact that God will take on flesh and become literally salvation. How cool is it that he was named salvation? So it'd be like, hey, salvation, come over here and eat your breakfast, right? But it's like his name was Yeshua, like, and when you said the name Yeshua, you heard the name salvation. But again, in Isaiah seven fourteen, this verse is huge. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. That sign will be that really odd, miraculous, you know, very abnormal sign will be that a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Im, which means with. Imanu, uh, which means with with us, and then El, which is short for Elohim, which if we put all that together, we have Immanuel, God is with us. Hmm. So right there we have this hinting from the book of Isaiah that a virgin will conceive, she'll bear a son, and he will be God with us. So there's two big verses, and there's more, but it's important that we because sometimes people say, well, the New Testament is corrupted, you know, and yeah. we can trust some of it, but really, like, the Old Testament, that's really what we can trust, and the New Testament kind of complements that, but really the, the Old Testament is, is uh, it bears that out as well, that this was on the minds of the apostles of Christ as they were understanding his, his life and ministry as well. So, Gabe, answer me this. So, there are some in the, mm-hmm. even in, like, the Hebraic roots community and obviously in the Jewish community that would say that they don't believe the Messiah is going to be divine. And so some, some have taken that into saying, no, we believe we follow Yeshua and Yeshua was Messiah, but Yeshua wasn't divine. So Mm -hmm. how do you answer those 
and, and this is kind of, we initially started talking about this. There was one particular teacher that we were like, man, this, this guy, he says he's a Christian. He says he's a Messianic believer, but he believes that Yeshua is mm-hmm. Messiah, but Yeshua is not God. So mm-hmm. how does somebody get there from that? How do they arrive at that conclusion based on, you know, even what you said, Emmanuel means God yeah. with us, and that's what Messiah would be. Some of it comes from this desire within Messianic Jewish or Hebrew roots uh, believers that um, it's a desire to appease the larger Jewish community and find acceptance from within the larger Jewish community, which um, never really ends well. We've since the dawn and the beginning of our of our faith and our our movement uh, in the first century, we've been rejected by normative Judaism, and that's okay. Hmm. Um, but I think normative Judaism will look at Christianity and say polytheism, because normative Judaism, you know, observant Jews would would pray the Shema prayer, which says, um, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one," and anything above and beyond that, um, it can't be three and one; it has to be one. So, there's always this pushback, like, you know, um, Jews would say, "Well." I would believe that Jesus would be Messiah, but he claimed to be he claimed to be divine. He claimed to be, you know, the creator, um, and that's problematic to me. So therefore, I reject. Well, Messianic Jews or Messianic missionaries or even some Hebrew roots people will say, "Ah, well, if we just kind of compromise on this, then maybe we'll, um, you know, we'll be accepted by the broader Jewish community or something." And hmm. um, yeah, and then there's just people that just are they're just they're just ignorant and they, um, they get sucked into heresy and false teaching by people that, um, are, are smooth talkers. Yeah. But yeah. What would I say to them? I would send, I would send them a link to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I whole, I wholeheartedly reject that kind of teaching. And I think that if you're going to believe that, then you might as well just throw out the whole new Testament. Yeah. Um, And if you throw out the whole new Testament, then, I mean, what do you, what do you have to stand on? And, and your claim that he is Messiah and he is the Savior. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. And it's, it's, it's disturbing to think that there are some who are trying really, really hard to reconcile the Christian faith mm-hmm. with that heresy. And, you know, the beginning of this mm-hmm. episode, if you're, if you're watching on YouTube, you're, you probably didn't hear this, but the beginning of this episode, um, I talked a little bit about Arius, who was a false teacher, who basically invented a new theology that um, basically stated that Jesus was the son of God, but he wasn't really God. He was a created being who'd been given some divine attributes. And so this was like Mm -hmm. in the 300s, right? 300 AD. And so the early church basically responded to this by officially denouncing it and saying, no, we reject that. That is not Christian teaching at all. And they issued the Nicene Creed at the First Council of Nicaea. And the Nicene Creed states the Christian Orthodox view of Christology. That has been like a standard of orthodoxy since the 300s. And this is what it says. And I think this is a very helpful claim. Uh, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. 
And it's almost like they had to <laughs> get out ahead of all the different distortions and say, no, this is who Jesus is. And if you don't believe that about Jesus, you don't believe the Christian faith. You're believing something else. And so the early church like put that stake in the ground in the year 300. And the past 1700 years, you see all these different groups popping up and they're basically bringing back this old Aryan heresy and saying, Oh, you know, this is just these, Mm. you know, different understandings of it. Or, you know, like we, we actually have figured out who Jesus never claimed this and all this stuff. And, and really, man, like that's, it's the same old heresy that you read about in the year 300. (laughs) Hmm. So it's just interesting that it really hasn't about, changed all that much. Go ahead. We're going to go through some passages about, um, you might think you're not really compelled by this yet. Maybe you think, okay, well, you know, I can massage my my theology and my heresy into these these texts you guys just read. But we're going to get into some, some verses and some passages where Jesus is worshipped. Jesus said to worship God only, yet he receives worship. Um and and where he where he's prayed to, so it's only gonna get better here. But Matthew four ten, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Um so yeah, it was there we see like uh this injunction that uh there's a, a claim of of exclusivity of like, you know, you're you're only gonna worship the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Matthew 2, 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Yeah, that's pretty So again, that'd be very problematic for, for these guys, these magi from the east to come and worship him. But uh, Matthew 2, 11, and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh. So you notice Mary isn't like, hey, he's not really like, right. he doesn't deserve your <laughs> worship. Like that's that's idolatry, right? She didn't shut it down. But you want to take a couple more verses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew 14, those who are in the boat worshiped him. This is after Jesus calmed the storm saying, you are certainly God's son. Jesus doesn't stop them. Hmm. Even in the same gospel, he says, you shall worship mm-hmm. the Lord, Lord your God only. And there's his disciples worshiping him as the Lord God. Um, Jesus, mm-hmm. after his resurrection, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Again, that's in the same gospel that mm-hmm. Jesus rebuked Satan by saying that. Um, you know, take John 9. Yeah, John nine thirty five. 35. Uh, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, and who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Yeah. Hebrews 1.6. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Yeah, and that's like the entire nativity in Luke's gospel. The angels are singing glory mm-hmm. to God in the highest. <laughs> and they're worshiping 
because mm. Jesus has been born. And so Jesus is another angel or Jesus is a created being that doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. Right. So hmm. we have passages too of Jesus being prayed to as God. Um, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all, but Acts 7 at the stoning of Pete, of uh, Stephen. It says that um, Stephen's being stoned, verse 59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said to the Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And earlier, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So that's pretty fascinating because I think for a couple things, number one, it, he calls upon the Lord and says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay. But secondly, you see like the Trinity because Jesus is standing at the right hand of mm. God. And so those who would say, no, 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 there's, there's Trinity is a pagan concept. Well, I mean, you can't really, especially as you get into the book of Revelation, like the one seated upon the throne handed this to the lamb. Like there, there is that, um, mm-hmm. <coughs> try, try you, yeah, the, the plurality within the Godhead, you see that. So, um, you want to take this next yeah. one? Yeah, we have First Corinthians 1, 1 through 2. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So the phrase to call upon the name of the Lord is a phrase used to designate prayer. We see that in like 1 Kings 18, Mm. you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. There's Zechariah 13, and I will bring the third part through the, the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and I will test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say, the Lord is my God. Also, you could say Joel 2, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hmm. So yeah, this um, to call upon the name of the Lord is uh, is is a phrase that, that is, is designated for um, for God, for the Creator. Yeah. And, and Paul is, is harking on that and applying it to Christ. Yeah, Romans 10 also. Um, Paul's quoting from Joel in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's an interesting one. This is the last one, and then we'll kind of land the plane. Um, Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God beside me. All right? Hmm. So then you turn to Revelation 1, and here is Jesus speaking. Hmm. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. <laughs> hmm. Okay, who's the only one that can use that title? The Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Jesus mm-hmm. says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forever. I have the keys of death and of Hades. S- hmm. So um, wow. 
if you're witnessing to someone that's involved in the Jehovah's Witness, I'd say that's probably a good place to to go. Isaiah 44, 6, and then Revelation 1, kind of showing how there's that harmony between the two, and that's Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying, I am Hmm. the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So landing the plane, like why do you think, Gabe, that people throughout the ages of church history, starting with Arius, now even into today, why is this a doctrine that so many people try to amend and change and distort? It's probably different reasons for different people. Um, You know, it could be that we just have little tiny three-pound brains and we're trying to fit the concept of an, a, a, a timeless, omnipresent God into our into that little three-pound brain. Or it could be, uh, could be that they're trying to appease a certain people group. It could be that they're just ignorant of Scripture and they haven't studied it for themselves. A lot of different reasons. Um, but regardless, um, we have to correct uh, we have to correct heretics. We have to rebuke heretics. Um, you know, once and twice. And and Titus says, you know, a divisive or uses the Greek, a heretic, um, we're to correct. And so it's an unfortunate job of ours as shepherds and teachers is to, is to call out doctrinal heresy. Um, there is a great quote by a man, you may have heard of him named C.S. Lewis Mm. and his, I've heard that guy. I would say his crowning work, mere, mere Christianity. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, C.S. Lewis says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Well said, C.S. Lewis. Wow. Uncle Jack strikes again. Hmm. Usually, if I can't think of any better way to say something, well, I quote C.S. Lewis. So, <laughs> there you have it. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's well-meaning, who loves Jesus, but maybe got kind of sucked into teaching that that peddles this stuff? Like, how would you like hmm. just help them maybe see it for what it is? I mean, is it a matter of just doing what we did, sitting down with the Bible and saying, "Hey, let's look at some verses together"? Like, how? Yeah. How can you say mm-hmm. that? You know, after we see, you know, just pray, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Yeah. Uh, God gives wisdom generously to those who pray for it, and uh, always 
you know, test what teachers are teaching and peddling. And then um, watch the fruit of people. Uh, you will know them by their fruit. Hmm. And I, I firmly believe that if someone is has bad fruit and it's it's consistently bad fruit, then then turn turn it off and don't listen to them. Yeah. Um, and just be careful. There's a lot of wolves. There's a lot of bad false teachers out there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, this has been good. Hope this was uh, helpful for some folks. And uh, if you need clarification or you want more info or you want to grab a cup of coffee with Gabe or I, send us an email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com or drop us a comment on YouTube uh, or Facebook. And uh, we love... Yeah, I'm going to be in Israel uh I was going to say, I'm going to be in Israel uh, next time we record. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll have strong enough Wi-Fi. We could give it a shot, I guess. And maybe I can, whenever I land, we'll, we'll just play by ear and see. That would be cool. Yeah, live on the scene in Israel. We got to go live to Gabe outside of the garden tomb. Gabe, what are you seeing? Hmm. <laughs> An empty tomb. <laughs> That's right, Gabe. Checkmate, atheists. That'll get them. Send it over to Richard Dawkins, and he's in church next Sunday. Mm. Oh, man. <laughs> Good times. Good times. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.